the analogy I often use is if I go and plant 10 trees because I want to plant an orchard, I don't go out every five minutes and leave my lounge room and, and measure them and see how much they've grown. I just let them sit there and make sure they get watered and it might come out in a year's time and they've grown a bit. Welcome to another instalment of What Matters, a podcast series inspired by a book of the same name. It's a book that navigates one man's lifetime of business and investing. I'm your host, Adam Spencer, and as always, I'm joined by that man. He's the author of What Matters, chairman of the Sydney Swans, and the co-founder of Molus Australia, which now, of course, has been rebranded as MA Financial Group. Andrew Pridham. I'm really excited about this episode, how to really make money investing. We've got a special guest with us, Andrew Pridham. Who's the cowboy riding alongside you today? We have adjunct professor John Garrett. From the University of? The IE Business School in Spain. Impressive. We're doing this episode in Spanish. And I'm really excited because we are talking about how to really make money investing. So I'm very much looking forward to uh, the end of this podcast. You will each have given me three no-risk superstar stocks that are guaranteed to go up 300 to 700% in the next fortnight or so is pretty much what I'm aiming to get out of this. John, can you deliver? Uh, challenging, but we'll, we'll do our best. Making money is not easy are the opening few words of uh, this chapter in What Matters. Set the parameters for us here, Andrew. Well, making money is not easy because it involves a lot of, uh, a lot of things going right. And you have to have a lot of skills. And the reason I know it's not easy is because so few people know how to do it. Mm. And you can look at the statistics. John, you'd know them better than I do. But I think millionaires in the world, as a percentage of the population, it would be, I presume it's in the 0.00 range in that sphere. So it it is difficult. Uh, It can be daunting. There's risk. You need capital to start with. Um, You need ideas. And... I think a lot of people need a lot of assistance with it. The number one thing I, you know, I, I've experienced in my day-to-day life is people coming to me, friends, and and, and asking for advice on making money. Hmm. Everyone wants to know how to do it, and I don't really know, so that's why John's here. You make the point that you're an investment banker, you're, you're a builder of business, but John is a professional investor. It's all you do? Uh, yeah, pretty much trying to find and identify investments that uh, that we think we can make money on, absolutely. So I'm not involved in marketing the fund or other, you know, my strict role is really, I like to say, to make the, the line go from the bottom left to the top right, make money. Is it a complicated, dark art or is it one of those things that is actually simpler in some ways than a lot of people would think if you understand what those simple rules are and have the discipline to follow them, you know what I mean? I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, it is, um, good investing is simple, but it is complex. And there are a whole heap of, you know, things that you can get caught up in and kind of caught astray. But like good investing really is common sense, uh, you know, and there's some simple things you can do to, to increase the chances that you're going to be successful. Absolutely. We'll get to those in a couple of seconds. But when Andrew quotes, you were saying there's a lot of noise in investing. There's a lot of unnecessary complexity. What do you mean? I'm sure you've opened the paper or listened to CNBC or listened to, you know, people talking about investing. And there's there is so much noise in terms of people's views on what's going to happen in markets, you know, what political outcomes mean for markets. So you're inundated 24-7 with news about, um, about investments, about the economy, about commodities, but really a lot of it is noise. And, you know, the great investors uh, tend to be unemotional, but a lot of the news that you get coming at you 
kind of creates an emotional reaction. And in the same way that we love a good bit of clickbait or a, a story that grabs us, that you, you, you tend to hear about an individual stock with a gigantic meteoric rise or if you'd invested 10 cents in Bitcoin uh, a few years ago, it would now be worth X hundred million dollars. I presume that's, that's part of the noise and doesn't really help people formulate what they should do or know the right way to go about this sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, everyone's interested in something that, you know, people that have done well or an investment that's done well, you know, I've got more calls on Bitcoin uh, when Bitcoin was, you know, I think it was up around 18,000, 20,000. Like everyone wants to know whether now's a good time to invest in Bitcoin because they've seen people make, you know, hundreds or thousands of percent on it. Uh, ordinarily, that's the time you probably want to be selling Bitcoin. But, you know, there's lots of stories about people that have done well. And one of the interesting things about investing is that you can make money being lucky as opposed to, you know, if you play professional tennis, you're not going to take any points off the world's best tennis player, but people will beat some of the best investors, Warren Buffett, over a period of time. They probably won't beat him over 10 or 20 or 30 years, but over a short period of time, there's a lot of luck involved. So people look at other people and think, well, he's done 200% or 500%, can't be that hard. You know, how do I get involved? Because you rarely hear from the person who lost the 200 or the 500%. Well, that's correct. Yep. Their stories aren't quite as popular. Yep. There's a lot of emotion in investing and Everyone loves the get rich quick story, and you you see the the one in a trillion or one in a billion, one in a hundred million, whatever it is. The person who's started a business and, and gone from zero, started from nothing, working out of their back of their car, and they're now worth twenty billion dollars. Or someone that's invested in a company and the stock's gone from five cents to you know thousand dollars. They're relatively rare examples, and I think. A mistake a lot of people make is they try and get rich quick. They think that they can just do something, I'll just put it all on red and hope that that goes well. And that's not investing, that's gambling. And it's all about process and making decisions, the right decisions, and giving your money time to to grow. And that's what so many people just impatient. And they also get, because of the noise in the markets that John talks about, most of which is negative, they can get bluffed out of things that are great investments. And, and so many people I know, and you, you know, they'll sell things at the 52-week low, but they'll happily then go and buy them back at the 52-week high because they, they feel like they want to get on a winner, and when it's going up, it's a winner, and when it's going down, it's a loser, when often the opposite is what you should be doing. We'll get onto that panic sale point in a moment, but you said you don't want to get rich quick. It's all about time. So do you want to, you want to get rich slowly and steadily? Is that the idea? Well, I think that um, I think it's very challenging to make to make money quickly. So, um, you know, if you're looking to make fifty or one hundred percent, then you're probably taking a lot of risk. So, it's challenging, and you don't actually have to make money quickly to make money, given the power of compounding. If you get the power of compounding working for you, you know, you can make an extraordinary amount of money over a period of time, not having to reach you know reach for the stars and take a lot of risk. So, some, some people might have heard it attributed to Albert Einstein, though. From what I understand, he didn't actually say. Compound interest is the greatest force of all the forces governing the universe. But what do we mean by compounding for those who are hearing that for the first time? Well, what we mean by compounding is that you make a return and that return you know, adds on to the next return the following year. So you make 10% one year, uh, then you've got, say you've invested $100, you've now got $110, you earn 10% on that, you earn more than that $10. So you have this compounding effect where every year you're making more and more money at the same percentage return. And as you move further down the line in time, it, it becomes exponential in terms of the returns that you make. 
the human mind is not actually very good at understanding the exponential function. Um, I, I, I've got a really good analogy which can help people understand mm -hmm. compounding. I bet you do. And I do. Mm -hmm. And it's a 2020 example. And that, you know, from, from one bat with uh, COVID-19 or the coronavirus, as originally was called, hundreds of millions of people have been impacted, billions of people impacted by COVID-19. And that's the power of compounding. It can start with one. And exponentially, I, I know you don't know much about mathematics, Adam, <laughs> but it's it's actually extraordinary. And in the book, what matters to give it a plug, I actually show some studies that have been done, which show the the power of compounding, and it's it's extraordinary. And if people understand it, they'll understand why you shouldn't aim to get rich quick. You should aim to get rich slowly. So the two lessons we quote are: the longer time frame you have, the more compounding will work for you. That's self evident from the way you explain it. Keep out of compounding's way. What do we mean? Uh, in a nutshell, don't lose money because okay. that's the number one way to get in the way of compounding. So, you know, people forget that uh, profits and losses are not symmetric. So, you know, if you start with $100 and you lose $50, you've then got $50 to make it back up. You've lost 50% of your money. You've got to make 100% of your money to get it back. So, losses and profits are not the same. So, you really want to get out of the way of anything that's going to impact that compounding because very small percentage differences in terms of returns over a long period of time have a massive, they have a staggering impact in terms of your end result. And the further you go out, the more that that difference mushrooms. And it might just be a difference of two or 3% over a long period of time will have a staggering impact in terms of you know your destination and how much money you've got when you get there. It would be complicated looking at an individual potential company or investment and deciding you know, what's its worth, but what are some of the things that do guide you in trying to work out the potential value or future value of an asset that you might want to invest in? Well, when we, um, you know, when we start looking at an investment, the first thing we look at really is, can we lose money? You know, what is that? Because we don't want to lose money in an investment. So that's the first thing we look at. So we'll look at say we're looking at a, at a company or a piece of real estate, we'll look at what is the downside, what is the worst case scenario in terms of um, you know, what might happen in this investment. And if we can get comfortable that we've kind of covered off on that downside, then we'll look to the upside um, in terms of you know, the potential returns. And there's a whole host of different things that we'll look for, whether it be real estate or whether it be investing in an individual company to give us comfort that you know, down the track that that asset's going to be worth more money than what we're paying for it today. The reality is, Andrew, all investment involves risk. There are going to be times where you face a loss or stare that, that potential moment in the face. Taking the time to understand and consider your own psychological makeup is critical, is something John says. What do you know about yourself when it comes to your ability to, to, to judge investments or handle the stress or, or not be bluffed out? Well, I think that it's really difficult. And I think for most people who don't have the time or the expertise, the best thing they can do is is rather than worry about individual investments is make a decision once every five years, for example, on who they want to invest their money for them because you get an expert to do it for you and, you, and that takes the emotion out of it for you. If you're an individual investor, and John would attest to this, the number one mistake that investors make, that uh, professional investors make, and I can tell you I, I make it, I know you, you've made it, it's actually not what you buy and buying the wrong thing. It's actually what you sell. And so often you'll make a mistake because you'll, you'll own a great stock or piece of real estate and you'll think that the, the mind is, wow, it's done well. 
It's gone up a lot. You can't keep doing that. I'll sell it. I'll sell that and, and then say so you sell it and then you have to pay tax and then you'll go and reinvest in something else. It's hard to find good things. So if you found something good, you invest in it and you stick with it. And if it's really good, will outperform enormously over, over time and you don't have to do anything. And that's, that takes the emotion out of it. And sometimes having investments that you can't touch, they're illiquid, it's counterintuitive, but it can actually be a really positive thing for your returns. Why is that? Because if you can't touch it, if you can't sell it on a whim, you can't wake up in the morning and read a negative headline and then think, oh, my God, I, I own a company that does part of that, I'll sell that without thinking, thinking it through. And that's what people do. Um, or the markets fall sharply and you say, I'll sell that. If you can't do that, history tells you, and there's been a lot of research on this since, again, it's in the book talking about it, that if you can't do that, you don't have that emotional response and therefore you get the benefit of, of long-term compounding of great companies. And that's what it's, that's what it's all about. The analogy I, I often use is if I go and plant 10 trees because I want to plant an orchard, I don't go out every five minutes and leave my lounge room and, and, and measure them and see how much they've grown. I just let them sit there and make sure they get watered and you might come out in a year's time and they've grown a bit and one of them might not grow as much and two years they're growing and one might be still not growing and you might pull it out and go and get another one. Um, but that's not how people invest, is it, John? No, I mean, people like to, people like to be active and um, they react to, you know, a lot of what we talked about before, they react to news, which really doesn't have any kind of implications for uh, the things that they're, um, that they're investing in. So, you know, good businesses continue to compound over time and become valuable. And, you know, over the last 10 years, as an example, say in the, um, uh, in the stocks that refer to as the FANG stocks, Facebook and Apple and uh, Google, if you'd been kind of spooked out of those stocks because, um, you know, Donald Trump had done a tweet or there was some bad economic news or inflation came in at a certain level, you would have missed out on a lot, you know, a significant gain. I read an article the other day about a university that was a co-investor in Google. I think they bought their stock at 100 and they were gifted it for $130 million. They sold it for $330 million. Win-win. Absolutely. Um, you know, it would have been nice if they kept it. It's worth north of uh, $6 billion today, that position. So one of the biggest mistakes is... Um, is definitely selling, you know, selling good businesses. And uh, the beauty of the stock market is that it is asymmetric. You can buy things, you put down um, $100, you can, you know, you can make multiples of your money. Um, you know, your downside obviously is, you know, what you put in, but you can make multiples of your money. But if you pick the, you know, pick the right businesses. This is what Charlie Munger, the uh, lifelong partner of Warren Buffett, calls that Sawyer? Sawyer. Sit on your ass? Do nothing, which you're a specialist at. I'm a specialist at often doing nothing is the right decision. It's a decision to do nothing. But people, as John said, people love doing things. They want to do things. And, you know, many of my best investments have been things where I just haven't sold. I just I don't even look at it. You know, I can tell you Mollus stock price, for example, I wouldn't look at our share price. I might look at it once a month. I don't, I don't even think about it because I'm not a seller. And I just know if you keep doing the right things and it's, if you've got the right investment, that it will do well over time. And, you know, for most people, the important thing is if they've got people managing their money, that people they've given it to know what they're doing, they can trust them, they're not going to steal it. 
um, and secondly, that they've got some you know reasonable diversification in their in their portfolio, so that you you know you don't go and put it all on red. You don't just go and say, I think you know Facebook's great, so I just put all my money, my life savings into Facebook, and it probably would be great. But if it's not, then it's a disaster for you. So put some into real estate, put some into shares, put some into fixed income. Diversification for most people is a very smart thing to do. You talk about that because that's the flip side to when we were talking about how to build a successful business. An individual business choosing to diversify too much can can sap away its own strength and extend itself too far. But as you as an individual trying to back winning businesses or assets or things to invest in, the more diversity, the better to an extent. I think reasonable diversification is important, yes, because um, markets don't all move in a common way all the time. And, and I'm a big believer in, for example, if you own your own house, that's a great investment because you can leverage it. It's going to be very safe. It's going to grow over time. Um, so you want to have money in, in housing. So you then wouldn't necessarily then say, well, for every every cent I've got over and above what I've got in my house, I'll go and invest it in residential. It's probably not the smartest thing to do. You probably want to diversify because there is always a chance as the black swan events that something happens and you, if you own one stock, it can be a problem. If you own a portfolio, you've got that benefit. Just a quick stop during today's conversation because I wanted to remind you if you're enjoying what you're hearing and would like to learn more, you can head over to mafinancial.com slash whatmatters to access your copy of the What Matters ebook. A book that navigates a lifetime of business and investing. That website again, mafinancial.com slash what matters. Now, back to the conversation. Just quickly, the, and the book here quotes the examples of, on this idea of soya and back in the winners and staying with them, Google, Tesla, Chipotle, Netflix, and Apple. And it tells the tale of if you got into these at their IPO and how much they're worth now. But couldn't you be accused here of just looking back and picking the winners? I mean, you know, Facebook came along and took all, you know, MySpace was the big thing then. So if you'd invested in MySpace, you'd be licking your wounds now because it went under. So how much of that is the sort of glorious hindsight? What's what's the rock solid message out of that? Well, I think the, uh, I think people, you know, certain people did have insights into those, you know, into those businesses. As Andrew said, it's, you know, even with that, you're not going to get everything right. Like people make mistakes and, you know, we're all human. Um, the future is uncertain. But if you have a basket, and I'm not saying that they're the, you know, that's the perfect basket, but if you have a basket of stocks and something goes wrong with one of those stocks, it's not likely you're going to have a problem generally with, you know, kind of with all of those stocks. But those stocks in particular have done very well because of, you know, the kind of changing nature of the of the business and their business models. And the people that have kind of seen that and picked up on that have been amply rewarded. Because individuals would look at, as you quote in the book, Andrew, Netflix has lost 25% of its value on four separate occasions on a single day's trading. Now, if you're an amateur punter who's got some money in Netflix and you see that, that's terrifying. And that's pretty easy to be tempted to run for the doors for. Tesla went up 400% in six months, but lost 40% over the following 10 weeks. In a single month, lost 25% of its value. Apple's lost 25% or more of its value on six occasions in the 10 years preceding. In In its single worst week, Apple lost 51% of its value. How do you as an investor just suck in the deep breaths and not run for the door when those sort of numbers are popping up on the screens? Well, I think if you've got uh, a number of positions, 
in different types of assets, as Andrew spoke about, then you're probably not going to be as panicked. Um, the second thing that I think you need to understand investing, you know, and investing in the market is that the price contains noise and is not necessarily news. Just because the stock's gone down 30 or 40% doesn't mean that that's necessarily a rational outcome. Stock move around all the time. If you're focused on the underlying business though, say for example, a business like Netflix, and you were to say, okay, well, what's, what's actually happened to Netflix, the business, the underlying business? Like, is the business getting stronger? Is there some reason why this business, like, has the stock gone down 25% because you know, there's something now wrong with the business? And probably in the case of a lot of these falls, that actually hasn't been the case. And then if you've got an understanding of the business and in your mind you have a destination about what that business will be and where that business might be in the future in terms of market share, why, you know, why is Netflix such a good business? Why is it outcompeting cable TV companies? How big can it get? You know, if you have that kind of view and you can take a long-term view about where the destination is, you're far less likely to panic and sell at the bottom. But you know, make no mistake, we're you know, we're kind of all wired the same way. It's not, it's not easy. Like we're kind of, you know, born to be fearful. That's our survival mechanism. So you've kind of got to override that. But if you understand what you own and you take a long-term view and you have an eye on where you think the destination is, you know, it's a lot easier. And then, you know, a diversified portfolio will help. And then having aligned investors that understand your process and that there will be volatility, you know, is going to make life easier as well. Andrew, the most recent big market hit was the the COVID pandemic market downturn. Did you make a few investment decisions in the heat of the moment then that if, uh, if you had your time again, you'd make differently? I was panicking like you wouldn't believe. I mean, like most people, sold stocks that I'd owned for a decade, thinking, you know, how obvious is this? This is going to destroy the global economies. Um, most of those stocks, I've, you know, it's very hard to do it, but you've got to bite the bullet and buy them back when you realise, I've got this one wrong. That's slightly more than you sold them? Yes, a lot more, but they've gone up since, so that's all right. But, you know, there's a big difference. I mean, the key point that John made is there's a big difference between price and value when it's a, a listed company. And I think that the challenge for most people is to understand what they own. And if and one of my rules of investing, for example, is I'll never invest on a tip. If someone says to me, oh, there's this company, it's a small company, it's going to go great, and I know nothing about it, I 100% of the time will just say, that's good and not do anything about it. What if it's your favourite cab driver? Well, I don't have a favourite cab driver. There you go. Sensible. Um, Diversification. I like them all, particularly Uber drivers, <laughs> if you see my rating. Um, no, I, I think I think you've got to understand what, what you own, and for most people that's incredibly difficult because if you're a builder or a doctor or a lawyer, you're not watching the mark. John's sitting, you know, John sits at his desk, you know, his eyes, you know, glazing over with Bloomberg screens and reading like the what, Matrix. Reading Warren Buffett's latest book or something. He lives and breathes it. What I would do is I make the investment my investment decision more often than not is I'm gonna invest in John's expertise or this firm's expertise and their integrity, and I then don't have to worry about it. And what all I have to worry about is if I suddenly don't think John's doing a good job, or I don't like John anymore. I think we've made the case so far for seeking the expertise of someone else. How do you make those decisions? Because everyone's going to present themselves as the person you should go with. What are the key things to look for? Well, I think firstly, again, it's diversification. So I don't think you should ever give you know all of your investments to one organisation or, or rely on one financial planner, for example. Um, I think you have to look at track record. 
you have to do some research on an organisation if you're giving them money to invest on your behalf that they have integrity and what's their reputation like. Uh, look at their track record and not be too phased by noise. And, and noise is the problem that everyone faces because stocks, you went through them and that study that was from an article in the Washington Post, which is one of the you know most outstanding investment articles I've, I've read. And that was, I can't remember when it was, it was 10 years ago at order. It was all about how some of the most successful stocks in the history of the United States had actually been incredibly volatile. The journey to get from here to here was like this. And if you don't know what you own or you're a panicker or whatever, you, I can guarantee you more often than not, you'll sell at the bottom and you'll buy at the top. And you can actually, without any skill, pick the bottom to sell and the top to buy consistently to the point where you have no money left. And if you just bought and held and not watched it or unable to sell it, you would have done fantastically well. And that, that's a, to me, that's why it's such a good article, that article, because it explains if you make the right investment decision up front, and for most people that's not going to be personally making it because you won't have the skill, it's choosing somebody to make the decision and diversify. And I think if you do that, then you take the emotion out of it and you'll do a lot better. John Garrett, what are the critical skills for people to look for in individuals or organisations they're going to invest with? Firstly, I think trust. So you have to trust who you're giving the money to. I think that's the I think that's the number one thing. And then track record is important that you know the people you're giving the money to have a track record that you can look at and you can see. Secondly, or thirdly, I should say, you have to understand, like you actually have to understand how they're going to achieve that outcome for you. I think that's important because for example, if you put your money into the equity market and it's going to be highly volatile and you're not expecting that, then you know that's going to be an issue if you don't understand. So you need to understand or the people that you're investing with need to be able to explain to you, this is what we're doing, this is the investment, this is how it works. I would say if you're ever offered something that sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Right, so you know the number of times I read in the paper about X, Y, Z have given money to these people here for some strategy. If it sounds too good to be true, I'd say you know, and you don't understand it, it's too complex. Avoid it. And then you know, one of the other things I think you can look for, and we do it at Molus, is co-investing. The people you're giving the money to are they co-invested in the fund? That's always a, a good sign. Where are the incentives? Like, are they incentivized? Have they got co-investment? Have they got skin in the game? That's always you know, a comforting. It's, it's, be- re- it's really one of our, our core filters when, we're, when we make an investment decision. If I'm dealing with one of our investment managers, for example, one of the first questions I'll ask, would you put your own money in it? And then the second question is, are you going to put your own money in it? And personally, I could never recommend anyone invest in anything if I wasn't prepared to invest in it. I, was, I was, couldn't do it, wouldn't. And I know John would be the same. And I think they're the things you need to, to look to. What are the motivations of the people who are managing the money? Are they if it's based on sharp advertising and all sorts of, you know, bells and whistles and, you know, be, be wary. You really want to invest with people who are going to go the journey with you and their motivations are aligned with yours, which is to get you good returns. I think the other thing is leverage. You know, we should touch on and be very careful with leverage because borrowing I'm talking about because if you have too much borrowing, that's where a lot of people come unstuck because you can be forced to sell and you'd never want to be forced to sell anything because you'll sell at the bottom. By definition, if you're being asked very heavily, if someone's leaning on you to sell, it's not a great time to have to do it. If you're going to buy a house and it's costing you $100,000 and you need to borrow $99,000 for it, 
you might be better at buying an eighty thousand dollar house and borrowing. Yeah, you don't you don't want to give someone the right to take the keys off you because they'll take them off of you at the wrong time. So for people who are listening in, waiting for that super hot stock tip, I've got it here. The tip is Apple. Ideally, if you can buy it at its December nineteen eighty price of ten cents a share, uh, you'd be doing all right. What would that be worth? Uh, I'd, I'd say if you went in then for about $125 worth, it'd be worth about $12.68 million now. Yeah, about that. Yeah. But the important thing is not to look at that and go, okay, I want me a bit of that action over the next short term because that, that is a, that's the sort of light you can get blinded by. Well, I think uh, past returns, you know, as they say, are no guarantee of future returns. So um, you can't, you know, it's it's nonsensical to look at an investment that's done well and say, you know, Bitcoin's gone from zero to eighteen thousand dollars. It means it's on its way to hundred thousand. Or, you know, Apple's done this. You really have to understand. You have to look forward. Like you can't look in the rearview mirror as a guide to your investments. So, you know, say for example, if you were looking at Apple, you know, where is Apple going to be in the next three to five years? What are the products? You know, what is the culture? You know, can they continue to adapt? Those type of things. What are you paying for those earnings? You have to look forward. What's happened in the past might give you a, a you know some guide as to the quality of the business, and but it's it's certainly no guarantee that you're going to make money going forward. So you need to analyse each investment on its merits on a go forward basis. But it's worth doing, Andrew, because you say if you do it calmly with an eye to the long term and do it properly, you can make more money investing across your career than from your income. Absolutely, advice I always give to anyone I know that's getting out of school, kids. Etc. is over your lifetime, you should make a lot more money investing than you will through salary. And it's a lot easier. Because, And one of the reasons is you can't make money while you're sleeping by working, um, unless you're a professional sleeper, which okay. I guess there could be, I don't know. Um, but your investments never sleep. Compounding never sleeps. And that's why the smart thing is, you know, for anyone that's starting out in their, in their working life, you know, you go to work, you enjoy what you do, you earn money, and every cent you can, you should be investing over time and allowing that to, to grow and give it to people who are experts at doing it because you're probably not. If you're radio host or um, you know, media personnel extraordinaire like you, your skill's probably not in investing and, you know, you're better to get your spare cash, give it to someone you can trust and let them invest it and don't meddle with it. Just be patient. What's your takeaway on this, John? Well, I think Andrew's right. I think find someone who, you know, who has a skill set in terms of investing. Definitely start early. And that comes back to that compounding. Diversify your portfolio. You know, pick a strategy which has a history of, uh, you know, making money. So, you know, I think all of those things are, um, you know, highly, highly yeah. sensible. Fascinating conversation. I'm sure that even professional sleepers who were listening to us today would have been woken up by some of the messages that we've... Or we've created a whole new generation of professional sleepers, one of the two. You never know. John, thank you very much for your time. Andrew, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for joining today's episode of What Matters. And don't forget, head over to mafinancial.com slash whatmatters to download your copy of the ebook. Be sure to subscribe to What Matters and join us next time when we talk culture and history with the one and only our special guest, Adam Goods, Sydney Swans legend, former Australian of the Year, co-founder of the Go Foundation, the one and only Adam Goods, next time on What Matters.